kind of think for a minute about uh, taking things for granted. Uh, so uh, one definition for this is, is to fail to properly notice or appreciate. To fail to properly notice or appreciate. And so I'd love your help online. You could ch- uh, use the chat um, and in the room. Uh, you could shout out, what are some incredibly valuable things that we can fail to appreciate? What would you say? What are things that we could fail to appreciate, yet they're really valuable, they're important to us? All the stuff our moms do for us. Yes, <laughs> says a mom. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, running water, says Sam online. Yeah, and family. family. Yes, yes, good. Other things we can take for granted. Yes, electricity. electricity. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's so easy to take it for granted. Yeah. Something else. Yes. Air. Yeah, and, and especially air that I can take a deep breath and it... It doesn't make me cough. Uh, yeah, so clean air. Oh. Something else. Yeah. Friends. Yes. Yeah, easy to take friends for granted. Yeah. Something else. What was that? Time. Yeah. Yes. So easy to take it for granted. Yeah. Something else. Health. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking the other day. I step onto this platform and it doesn't intrude anything in my day. And realizing I take that for granted. For some of us to get up on the platform, it's a challenge, right? And, and so I just take it for granted and I realize, yeah, my health, when I have it, it's invisible to me. And then when I don't have it, it's like, wow, I really want it back. Somebody else over here. What was that? A personal Bible. Yeah. To think through most of the history of the church People could only listen, and in many places even today, they can only listen as others read it, and maybe only in a different language than my own. Yeah. Education is another one that we can take for granted. The freedom to do what we're doing right now, to gather together without fear. It's easy to take that for granted. I want us to take some time today to think specifically about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, wondering the ways in which we might take the Holy Spirit for granted. And so we're taking some time in a discipleship series, and, and this week brings us to thinking a bit about the Holy Spirit. And so we want to pray and ask God to teach us today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for these things that we've mentioned. We thank you for life. We thank you for hearts that keep beating, that we can breathe that our bodies do this pretty much without attention of us and that we have clean air. We thank you for the freedom to gather today. We thank you for friends, for parents who've provided for us, for friends who care for us. Uh, We thank you for the Bible. And we thank you uh, that when we gather, we can be confident. Jesus, you said when two or three people gather together intentionally to be as your people, you are present. So we thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us today, that you would speak to us, for each one of us, that you would would feed us. Don't just inform us, although we want information, and don't just give us motivation, although we want that. We want you. So we pray that you would fill us and fill our time today. Thank you for our confidence in you. We thank you, Jesus, for opening the way. In your name we pray. Amen.
Uh, the title today is From a Flood to a Trickle. We're in Joel 2. Uh, we're going through the series of looking at um, discipleship. And, uh, and so it's taking us today into a time to look at the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to have that text in front of you. It's just several verses. And so there are some Bibles in the back. Uh, use the QR code to, to find it online. Um, or maybe you've got a printed copy with you. Uh, but we're going to look at Joel 2. And we'll talk more about this drawing uh, in a couple of minutes. While you're getting there, let me just say a few things. Uh, thinking about the Holy Spirit. I just want to clarify a few things as we go into it. First of all, um, the Holy Spirit's a person. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Right? It's, he's not a, just a force. He, he's not just a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is fully God, along with the Father and the Son, Jesus. Uh, So the Holy Spirit has all the power and all the knowledge and the holiness and the love and the justice and all of this are just as much of the Holy Spirit as they are, these qualities are, of the Father and the Son. Right, so the Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, I have to confess that I grew up in a tradition that the Holy Spirit was kind of invisible. In fact, some people said the Trinity in a church like mine that I grew up in was the Father and the Son and the Bible. Um, Because we gave a lot of attention to the Father, the Son, and the Bible, and the Holy Spirit was kind of invisible. And and so this, some of this is, I need to just keep telling my soul, yeah, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And so to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with the power and the wisdom and the glory of Almighty God. Not just a little nudge to help me do better during the day. <laughs> this is the presence and the power of Almighty God. Now, One of the conversations that's often there is looking at the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I want to say a word about how we see the the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And people have said there's a lot of intensity and mystery and power. So let me just give you a couple of the examples from the Old Testament. Uh, In terms of intensity, uh, there's this statement in Isaiah that says his breath, and breath and wind uh, and spirit are the same word. His, His breath, his spirit is like a rushing torrent like a fast and overflowing river, rising up to the neck. He shakes the nations in the sieve of destruction. Sounds intense, right? (laughs) What is the sieve of of destruction? This is a tool used to to filter things out in the harvest, to get rid of the stuff that's not worth anything. And it's a sieve, it's a sorting tool of destruction. He places in the jaws of the peoples a bit that leads them astray. The Holy Spirit has an intense presence like a river that will sweep you away. I don't know if you've ever been in a fast-moving river, and when it's up to your neck and it's moving quickly, you are done. (laughs) You can't stay where you are. It'll just take you in its flow. The Holy Spirit is an intense presence. The Holy Spirit is a mysterious presence. And so this is uh, King Saul. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. This is a mysterious thing that happened to him. All of a sudden, he was joining in the prophesying. It wasn't something he chose to do. In fact, later on, can you say this in church? Later on, when the Spirit came on him and he joined a bunch of prophesying, he took all his clothes off. 
And he joined in, in prophesying. It's just like, this is bizarre. <laughs> this is mysterious. We don't know why it happened to him. He didn't choose it. Just all of a sudden, the Spirit came on him in a mysterious way, and he joined in prophesying that looked kind of crazy. And there's power. And, and, and one of the classic examples of power is Samson. This man that, that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson, and then all of a sudden, he can do incredible things. His great strength, he, he could tear a lion apart with his bare hands, he could pick up the city gates and carry him up a hill. Nothing could stop this guy. And it's when the, the Holy Spirit was present on him. So we've got this intensity, this mystery, and this power. But here are two other things that are really important about understanding the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And that is that the Spirit's presence and power were easily lost. And so Samson was among those. Remember? Somebody help me out. How did Samson lose the power of the Holy Spirit? He got a haircut. <laughs> he got his haircut. Now God said, don't get your haircut. But having his haircut, it's like, there it is. It's all gone. That power you had, it's as simple as that. Getting your hair cut when that was a command of God. Saul, it's when he disobeyed. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was gone from him and then he was tormented and all the struggle, the, the Spirit, the, the Spirit's presence and power were all too easily lost. Perhaps more significantly is that the Spirit was on very few people in the Old Testament. That, that we get a list of them, but it's mainly on men in leadership roles. <laughs> that was the, 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 most of the story of the Old Testament is that every now and then the Holy Spirit would be on somebody. And it could have been lost. And it was mostly priests and judges and kings and prophets. These powerful people who then had the Spirit's presence. That was what they had. Now Joel has this amazing prophecy. Let me just say a word about Joel. Joel came to the people and said, judgment and physical destruction are coming. What you guys have been doing is bad, and God's going to send a whole bunch of, of locusts to just destroy everything. <laughs> he said, trouble is coming. And yet, there was an invitation. He said, rend or tear your heart and not your garments. Don't just repent in a visible way. Go to your heart and tear it. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Joel said there is a disaster coming, and it'll be awful. But if you will repent, if you will turn to God, as Marita led us in, says that God will relent. He will step back from that. And God said he would do that, and he did. He, he was gracious, and he brought a physical relief. And he says, when that happens, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God. And then he went on to say, and there's something even bigger that's coming. And so now this is where we are in Joel 2. We just take these five verses, uh, take the first two to begin with. And we heard them earlier. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God says, after this recovery from the disaster, something new is going to happen. And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. It's a language of, of uh, an abundance, of overflowing, to pour out, to give the spirit. 
And then he says this again at the bottom, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days. He, he, he puts this at the beginning and the end to say, I really want you to hear my spirit is going to come. And it's going to come on all people. Some translations say uh, it's literally all flesh, all humanity. And, and there's debate about how big does that mean in terms of Jewish people versus non-Jewish people. But we know that the promise was that this would come on all peoples no matter whether they were historically part of God's people or not. And then he goes on and says, on your sons and your daughters. He says, this is not going to be primarily a male thing anymore. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people, on sons and daughters, on old men and young men. Right? So it's not just the aged. This will come to kids too. And even, he says, on servants. And servants, a category of people that were treated low. And, and, and to be sure, he says, I want you to know, it's on servants, both men and women. And women who were servants were such a low class of people. And, and I want you to go back and see who is speaking. God says, I. This is a promise of God himself. I am going to pour out my spirit in abundance on all peoples. Right? This, there's an astounding abundance in this on all categories of people. Whereas before it was on Moses and then Moses went to a few of the leaders in all of the country and God says, no, the days are coming when I'm just going to pour out my spirit all over the place on all categories of people, those you're impressed with, those you're not impressed with. The people society honors, the people society looks down on will be on all peoples. And and this is a, a a passage that's quoted in Acts 2, this great time, and all of a sudden, the people scattered around in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, they're prophesying. They're doing these miraculous things because on all these people, God was at work. So, he says, the day's coming when I'm going to pour out my spirit all over the place. Not all easy news, though. Verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and deadful day of the Lord. He says, I'm going to perform wonders. And sometimes I think, oh, these will be really cool miracles to see, feeding 5,000 people, and and that's a wonder. (laughs) But some of these wonders were really problematic. right? The the, the blood, the fire, the billows of smoke, these these are connected with war. Right? And, and when the sun turned to darkness and, and the moon to blood, uh, this brought great fear in their day. They didn't understand eclipses. And, and, and one of the questions is, how much might this be an eclipse? But clearly in their day, if an eclipse happened, they were so afraid, this is the gods who are angry with us. People try to predict the eclipse, and then sometimes, I'm told, even a king would step out of the throne and put somebody else there until the eclipse was over. <laughs> so the curse would land on them, and then they'd come back into power after the eclipse. Right? Because they say, if that happens, this is trouble. Well, these, are, these are symbols of war and judgment. And clearly metaphorical, there's debate among people, how much are these physical things? And yet, I think they really do intersect with our world and the judgment that's coming. And so then also there's debate. Seemingly, these are still future elements in God's work because we haven't experienced all the judgment of God. And so Revelation uses some of the same language. 
that says there is judgment of God too. So that, that, that dreadful day of the Lord. It's an awkward expression. It's dreadful when God shows up. And yet there is a way in which the prophet wanted the people to know when God shows up, it's a holy presence. And you should take that seriously because there is judgment that comes when God is present. And so then verse 32, he he deals with this hope and this judgment. Verse 32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. One of the things I, I wrestle with, and it's, it's a reality for us as a church, is that we have people who have different orientations to uh, different aspects of Christianity. And we see it different ways. And so I love this passage because it says, the people who are saved, it's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And it's everyone whom the Lord calls. So just to make sure it can include us all, the people who emphasize human responsibility, yeah, we're talking about that. People who emphasize God's divine choice, yeah, we're talking about that. That we see here that there's a human side and God's side, and together it covers it. He says there is, there is deliverance. There are survivors In other words, he's going back and saying, there's this great news that the Holy Spirit's going to be given broadly. And then there's this hard news that says there's going to be judgment. And so then he says, so here's how you get on the right side of that. Call out on the Lord. And then there's deliverance. Then there are survivors, right? And it's the ones whom the Lord calls. And we all affirm that both of those things are real. That in Christianity, we affirm that those who are saved are those who call on the Lord and those whom the Lord calls. And there's an invitation to escape from judgment, and there is an entry into love. I think we see in these verses that that through Jesus, because this is when this prophecy is fulfilled, the Almighty Holy Spirit is poured out on all who call on Him. The the Almighty Spirit of God is, is wonderfully poured out on all who will call out to Him. So, this drawing, what do you see here? Yes. Yeah, somebody watering a plant. How well are they doing at watering this plant? Not very well. There's a few drops coming out, and the plant seems to be struggling down there. Right? Now, I'm told that grass should get about an inch of water each week. In the summer, obviously, but it needs an inch of water each week. So how much water do you think that is if you have like a quarter acre, right? You know, Typical neighborhood house. Any idea how much water that is? How many gallons that might be every week your grass is supposed to get? A lot. 6,750 gallons. That's how much your grass, if you have grass, and be thankful because I was just talking to somebody, why do we have grass? Because it's a lot of work and then we feed it and it's more work. But we do it. Uh, Many of us do. But that's a lot of watering, right? So if one watering can can hold about a gallon, that's 6,750 times every week you're supposed to go around and dump that on your yard. Okay. Uh, What do you see here? Yes. A storm and an abundance of water, right? So how much water do you think there might be in a one-inch storm that covers Ingham County? Okay, I'll help you out. 9.6 billion gallons, 
right? In one action, in one storm, God just floods the place with so much water, that's a lot of sprinkling cans, right? California, place we used to live, they've been struggling with a, a drought for decades that humanly there was no solution to this. There's no way to solve this. Right, people try to say, let's conserve. Could we do something to, to seed the clouds so that, that it would come down? Let's do a better job protecting the water. And yet, they've experienced a river of storms that they're overflowing with water. They don't know what to do with it. How do we handle all this water that we have? What humans could never accomplish, nature did all on its own. Well, maybe humans helped nature do it, but that's a different conversation. So, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit was powerful, but very few people experienced Him. People read about people, they heard about people, and maybe they watched people who experienced this direct work of the Holy Spirit. Joel says that in this new covenant, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out abundantly, going from a trickle to this overwhelming stream. See, through Jesus, the Almighty Holy Spirit is poured out abundantly, broadly, to all who will call out to him. So what does the Spirit do? And I think it's, it's valuable to just step back and say, so what is the significance of the Holy Spirit being present? And so one thing that happens with the Holy Spirit that affects everybody who is genuinely a Christian, automatically for every believer, there's salvation. And he lives in every believer. So here's how salvation works. God Almighty says, I want to save people. I want to rescue people from their sin, from their trouble. God Almighty says, this is what we're going to do. It's his will. And so the Son of God came as a human being and suffered and died to purchase our salvation, to open the way. And then the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts. The will of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and then the immediate intervention of the Holy Spirit in us to bring this salvation that God the Father pursued, God the Son accomplished, and the Holy Spirit applies to us. And, and then the Holy Spirit lives in every believer that, that Paul in Romans 8 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. right? If you are genuinely one who trusts in God through Jesus for your salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. Automatic. Then there's this aspect of the Holy Spirit where we talk about gifts. And, and there are different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and this is as, each, as God chooses for each person. So some of the gifts are word-oriented gifts. So some people have a special ability from God, from the Holy Spirit, in terms of preaching and teaching and evangelism and discernment and insights and encouragement. They do all sorts of great stuff with words. Not everybody can I have an amen? I'm glad not everybody has a word-oriented gift. There would just be nothing but words, right? So God also then says, let's have some people have special gifts of action, of doing things, of serving, of giving, of mercy, and helping, and miracles, and administration, and generosity, and faith, and all these other kinds of gifts. And again, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus says, let's spread these gifts out. So we don't have the same gift everywhere. We want to share these and then people are to serve each other with them, to grow in them. But they're things that come by the Holy Spirit that Jesus decides where they go. So we've got some things that are automatic for everybody. 
some things for everybody who trusts in Jesus as Savior, there's some things that come how Jesus chooses. And then what we look at today are things that are commands. Commands for every believer. And the command is this, be filled by the Spirit. It's a command. It's something that we can engage in and we cannot do. And he says, this is something you ought to do. And it's a command that says, keep doing it. And then there's another command that says, walk in step with the Spirit. Right? There are ways here that we can decide what's our relationship going to be with that Spirit, whom we have, but we might not be living fully with Him. So, Ephesians 5, I just have it on the screen here. Again, you could look it up, but I want to highlight things out of Ephesians 5, these, these few verses. Um, let me just say, I grabbed the English Standard Version, which we don't usually use, uh, but I did that because I think it reveals a really important organization to these ideas. So let me read it. Uh, This is from this letter to the church in Ephesus. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, an unrestrained, immoral, unwise living. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, I just want to spend a minute here. Be filled with the Spirit. This is a command. And it's, it, in, in Greek, the original language, it's a command that implies an ongoing obedience. It's different from saying, you ought to become a Christian, which you ought to. <laughs> but it's different from that. It's saying, do this over and over again. Constantly be being filled Keep going on. Have the Spirit fill you. And so then the question is, what's it look like? And so the structure of it, there's a number of things that he says, here's what it is like, this filling of this Holy Spirit that we're commanded to. It's addressing, it's speaking to one another. It's speaking to one another with, with praise-filled truth. Right? Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Tell each other what God is like and what God has done. Being filled with the Spirit is speaking to each other with praise-filled truth. And it's singing and making melody. That being filled with the Spirit is to be overflowing with praise to God. With, with music, with song, and, and not all of us are music-oriented people, but it doesn't have to be just a melody. It can be poetry, it can be a heart without words expressing a, a, a praise to God. And then it's giving thanks. Being filled with the Spirit is, is, is giving thanks to God. It's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the structure of it. It says, be filled with the Spirit, and then there are these four things. And they're, they're, they're still kind of commands, but they're also saying, this is what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And I want you to see something. Who are we to speak to? It says, speak to one another. Where are we supposed to, who are we supposed to sing songs to? To the Lord. Who are we supposed to give thanks to? To God, the Father. Who are we supposed to submit to? One another. So you see the work of the Holy Spirit has this vertical element to it. We're to sing and make melody to the Lord and give thanks to God, and it's horizontal. We're to speak to one another, praise-filled truth, and we're to submit to one another. It's both vertical and horizontal, and it, it has speaking and action in it. Now, there's one phrase in here that really caught my attention. And uh, it's giving thanks always and for everything to God. And, and being a really holy person, I went looking to see if there was any way out of that. 
And so I thought, I wonder what other translations say. And so here's this giving thanks. New International Version we normally use, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. English Standard Version said, giving thanks always and for everything. Christian Standard Bible says, giving thanks always for everything to God. And I went through and I looked at all the different English translations I could find, and always and for everything is in all of them. And I was a little disappointed. (laughs) I was hoping to find an out. But the statement is that when the Holy Spirit fills us, there is a gratefulness to God always and for everything. Because God is supreme over everything all the time. And he is mysterious. And so I'm also reading through Job. And you know, Job is this hard, hard story of how challenging it is to make sense of life. And yet, we're told that when the Holy Spirit is filling us, there is a spirit of gratefulness that says God is good even through these very, very hard times. Here's a great statement. It was really helpful to me. The Spirit and the Christian is that each Christian has all of the Spirit. When you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. right? The, the Holy Spirit is a gift. He is ours. Then the command to be filled with the Spirit enables the Spirit to have all of us. And I love that expression. So we have all of the Spirit, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is kind of caught in a corner of us, so to speak. And then the Holy Spirit's not really filling our hearts and our right. We're we're not really experiencing the fullness of who the Spirit is. And so I think the fact that it's a command that we be filled is that it is possible for genuine Christians to have this experience of the Holy Spirit. It's possible for genuine Christians to have all of the Holy Spirit and yet to experience just a trickle. Otherwise, why would we be told, be filled, walk in step with the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit. There is an invitation. There's an invitation to have this experience of the Holy Spirit as being filled, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it's speaking praise-filled truth to each other. Right? The Holy Spirit's presence says, we keep telling each other, I know it's a challenging day. Do you know our God? And he's at work and he knows our struggles. He hears us. He, he cries with us. There is great news in a God who cares and acts. And it's praising God with joy, singing and making melody. It's always giving thanks to God for everything. And it's submitting to each other in honor of Christ. We're told to be filled with the Spirit, that these would be things that would be true in us. So the application today, in one way, is very simple. It's simple to understand. It's a lifetime to live, and that is be filled with the Spirit. And I would just say three things. The first thing is to pray. To pray. And this is in two ways. One, it's when we begin the journey with Christ, and the other is when we continue the journey. Jesus said this, If you then... though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants us to have the Holy Spirit living in us. This is what he wants. He wants life and joy to be ours. And so he says, if you ask for it, God's going to do it. And this is the first step of being a Christian is to say, boy, I want that kind of life in me. I want a life that, that gives praise to God and, and, and has this, this joy-filled presence. I want that. And that is the invitation to say, yes, I, I want that, Jesus. Would you give that to me? I don't deserve it, 
but because you have opened the way by your death and your resurrection, I want that. And he says, God the Father will be thrilled. And since we are commanded, once doing that, to be filled with the Spirit, convinced that we should be praying. Say, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want the Spirit to have, to have access to all parts of me. Say, this part of me that's deeply discouraged, I want your Spirit to just be poured over that space. I want this, and so we should pray. And, as Jesus said, boy, if we ask the Father for fulfilling this command he's given us to be filled with the Spirit, he will gladly work. We should be praying for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then we should live by and like the Spirit. So this is where Paul elsewhere says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, this is where we're not just supposed to say, so fill me with the Spirit so that we have the fruit of the Spirit, so I'll be more loving. Well, that's true, that's good. We also need to obey the command to love. We want to be more patient. Where the Holy Spirit is active, there is patience with people. And so we're called to be patient and to depend upon the Holy Spirit to help us do that. We're to submit to each other. Now, I want to say a word about this. Notice he doesn't say submit to leaders, although that's included. He says submit to each other, right? Submit to each other in the sense that that we need to understand each other and and value each other and say, I'm going to make adjustments for who you are. I'm going to recognize your wisdom and, and, and your value and your worth, and I'm going to make adjustments to give preference to you. That's submitting to each other. And we're to choose to do that. We're to live like the Spirit and to live by the Spirit. The alternative, Paul says earlier, is not to keep in step with brokenness. Because here's what the world in its brokenness says. Treat other people the way they've treated you or the way you expect them to treat you. Get ahead of the curve. (laughs) If you think they're coming after you, treat them that way. And this is so different. He says, stay in step with the Spirit. Live the way the Spirit lives. And then, because none of us are great at this, it's to confess and to be forgiven when we stumble and to say, yeah, I I didn't live by the Spirit. I was not joy-filled. I was not giving praise to God. I was not speaking to people in ways that were psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was telling people how bad the world is. And we need to be honest, but in our honesty, we need to put everything in the context of the goodness of God. So this year, we've been following the theme of find and follow Jesus. And so in doing this, uh, been following this pattern of saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we've looked at these steps. To follow Jesus is to be born again, to have life from God. Jesus says, you, you can't see and know God without God giving you life. And so he says, come to me for that life, to be born again from above. And then it's becoming like Jesus. And we looked at this need to, to remain with Jesus, to, to have fellowship with him, to, to, to worship him, to, to pray, to know him. And then it's doing the works of Jesus. We just looked at this to be salt and light in our world the way he was, to do what we do for the glory of God as he did. And then today is looking at doing this by the Spirit, and then soon we will look at doing it together. But I want to say this. Doing this by the Spirit, this is essential for being the church. We can't be the church without being filled with the Holy Spirit. To be the church, this is speaking praise-filled truth to each other. 
right? And that includes hard truth, that includes confrontation, but all of it is in the context of praise to God who is good, who has shown his graciousness in Jesus, and he is alive and at work, and he can make everything come together for his plan, for goodness. We're to speak praise-filled truth. We're to praise God with joy, and that's a wonderful thing that we do as a church, and yet this comes by the Holy Spirit being active in us, to genuinely praise God. Because I know personally, I can say words of praise without praising God. Right? It's the Holy Spirit that changes words of praise, that, that, that words that say praising things, to a heart of praise. And this is by the Holy Spirit. And always giving thanks to God for everything. Oh my, <laughs> I can't find another way to do this except by the Holy Spirit, the way Paul said, I praise God for my weakness. And I'm not there yet. (laughs) I praise God for my weakness because that's when I can see God most clearly. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. So Paul says, I praise God for that. I struggle. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. In some ways, particularly for our vision of the church, submitting to each other for Christ is really challenging. So I experience this in ways in which we see the world differently. Different people in different backgrounds see and understand the world differently, and and we have different sets of values, and it's really hard to submit to somebody else's way of understanding things. If it's not the way I currently understand them, and this is hard. (laughs) And this is what takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It's essential for the church that the people of the church be filled by the Holy Spirit. So, I want to go back to these drawings. I'm convinced by the command that we have to be filled with the Spirit, we are given a choice. That we can live with a trickle of the Holy Spirit, or we can live with a filling and outpouring of the Spirit. And it's a choice. It's a choice to do that by praying, by, by walking in step, living the way the Spirit says, and confessing when we fail, and, and to walk in this and say, God, I want this. So what I want to do is end with this statement from Jesus and just give us a chance to cry out to God. Whatever is on your heart. This great feast, Jesus stood up. He stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus said, rivers of living water poured out in abundance. And he says, you get it all when you become a Christian. But he then says, it's the command to be filled, to have this flow in us, that we would be people who overflow with the goodness and the glory and the praise of God. And it's the command, be filled by this Holy Spirit. So I just want to leave a time of silence for us to cry out and say, God, I I want your presence and your goodness. And when I see it and I experience it, I praise you for that. We long for it more. So let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for such an amazing invitation that we would come to you and have rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit flowing from within us. Oh, we long to be filled with your Spirit. Father, I confess that I have spent far too much of my life content with a trickle, content with a sense of the Holy Spirit as being this helpful nudge to give me a little bit more help along the way. I'm sorry, and I pray for us, for me, that you would pour out your Spirit, that we would be filled with his presence with his power. I pray that you'd open our our hearts to realize the wonder of the presence of Almighty God, the one who is love, living in us, filling us. Oh, would you do that? Teach us to walk in step with the Spirit, to to join in the, the things that the Spirit does, and that by your power you would enable us. And I thank you for the grace of Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that that This is a gift you give us and we will stumble and fall so many times and yet it is your grace. And so I pray that in our weakness, your power would be seen. We pray that you would move in us to to have hearts that give you praise, to sing and make melody through our Lord Jesus for the wonder of the gift that you have given us of overflowing and abundant life in the spirit of our God. In Jesus we pray. Amen.